Hi, welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Tom Salpeck from Cross Asset Strategy. I'm joined by my colleague, Steve DeLake, head of Spread Product Research, uh, and Bram Kaplan, head of America uh, Derivative Strategy. Welcome to the program all. Uh, so let, let's hear from Steve first. Uh, Steve, uh, you know, on the one hand, we've had our uh, Goldilocks probabilities tick up, but with the market pullback and the theme of high for long, uh, the idea is that it's not going to be so uh, comfortable what that means for the asset classes. So how are you positioned right now? I mean, to be honest with you, um, you know, cash, cash index spreads, which is sort of what we center our, um, or I should say our various strategy teams center their spread forecasts on, we've been pretty much hanging out um, around our year-end forecast. So our, our thought process has been really until now um, that we move somewhat sideways. I mean, I would say even the widening in spreads um, that you've seen in recent days has been rather modest relative to the moves both in, both in bond markets um, and, and in stock markets. So at, at this stage, in general, I'd, I'd sort of be inclined to say that um, you haven't had the sort of concession that would encourage you to sort of want to um, buy risk aggressively by, by any means. I do think you've had a somewhat more meaningful move in tradable index spread. So if you look at the sort of ITRAX family of indices or you look at the CDX family of indices um, in, in North America, you know, index level spreads have um, moved uh, a little bit more than their cash cousins. Again, that's not too surprising. Um, they tend to sort of be uh, a somewhat more sort of turbo turbocharged version um, of of the underlying, um, and you know, and based on um, some of our calculations, you know, in particular uh, our fear and greed indicator, you know, we can certainly make a case that um, derivative spreads, you know, CDS index level spreads, look a little bit oversold here. So neutral overall, but if you did did want to sort of take a position. Um, we think there's an opportunity to see index level spreads tighten a bit. So would re would recommend selling protection there. But really as a trade, um, not not as a, you know, um, something to bet the bank on necessarily. Thanks, Steve. Let, let's turn to Bram now and hear about uh, sy systematic investment flows. What, what do you think are the risk around flows coming up? And I just wanted to highlight, of course, at the time of the recording of this video, we have not gone through the 200-day moving average. But Obviously, that could meaningfully change the picture. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Um, so systematic strategies have started to delever on the recent market sell-off. And I'd say that flow risks now are two ways, but more skewed to the downside. Um, CTAs, or, or trend-following strategies, came into the summer with fairly high equity leverage. And they've partially delevered during the past couple of months as the market sold off. Uh, short to medium-term momentum signals are now generally negative across major equity indices but the longer term signals have so far stayed positive, And we found that these were a more important driver of CTA allocations. Um, CTAs could be forced to relever in case markets rebound and we see short-term momentum once again, turning positive. Uh, for example, there's a cluster of upside momentum signals on the S&P 500 uh, between a bit below 4,400 and 4,450, but they could have significant further selling and turn short equities if we were to fall through the long-term momentum signals. Um, for example, near, nearby downside momentum triggers on the S&P include the 200-day moving average that you mentioned earlier, uh, which is sitting around 4,200, uh, just around 1% below where we're trading as we record the video. And uh, six-month momentum is around 4,100. We bounced off the 200-day moving average overnight, 
but a break through that level could see meaningful CTA selling, which could be exacerbated by selling from option dealers that are hedging short gamma positions. The recent pickup in volatility and positive equity bond correlation is also causing volatility targeting funds to delever, and yesterday's sell-off could create a headwind for markets over the next few days as these funds adjust. Volatility targeting funds' equity exposure remains relatively elevated compared to the past few years, though, based on our model, uh, with target leverage close to its 80th percentile over the, the period since the start of the pandemic. Therefore, if volatility were to continue to increase, particularly with equities and bonds moving in the same direction, we could see material further selling from these funds. Thanks, Bram. Let, let's bring it back to Steve. I mean, one, one of the questions, you know, that's always interesting is, you know, comparing the two markets, you know, did, did credit markets kind of confirm the moves in equities? Are they aligned? Should credit widen a bit further? You know, based on the pullback we've had in the, in the last two weeks, um, would, would you say credit should widen here? And, you know, does the picture change for you if we get another leg down with the, with the, uh, the 200-day moving average crossover? Does that change something for you? I, I, I'm not. I'm not sure that we should anticipate a a very big uh, widening spread if if sort of nothing were to to happen. I'd say a few things. I mean, if you look at some of the other, um, you've sort of noted the VIX. I mean, one of the other things that we've been looking at, for example, is that the BTP bun spread as a as a stress indicator. Um, you know that that's remained. Um, you know, within 200 basis points. Um, you've definitely seen um, financial spreads widen versus non-financial spreads. I'm, I'm, I'm less inclined to think that that's a big indicator of stress. I think that some of that reflects the fact that you've had a very um, consensus and mature overweight in, in financials relative to non-financials. And then when and if you look at non-financial spreads, obviously, the energy component of that is pretty large and has performed quite well. So I don't think that um, there's a lot of stress evident within credit markets. So all else equal, I don't think we should be expecting uh, a big widening spread. But to your second, to the second part of your question, absolutely. I mean, if we were to see some acceleration to the downside by equities or we, were, or we would continue to see bond yields push higher, I would expect credit markets to sort of continue to be, you know, dragged lower and spreads widening. And I think that's really what we've seen here. Credit, in my mind, is a fairly clean asset class. I don't think there's anything within the asset class that will cause it to trade down, uh, which would cause it independently to trade down um, aggressively. So I think, you know, in terms of downside moves, you know, I think credit here is, is, is being dragged along by what's happening in, in, in stocks and bonds. It's certainly not leading that, and I would expect that can, to continue. Great. Thanks, Steve. Let's hear uh, from Bram again. You know, it's been a very strange year in terms of market breadth, of course. This yawning gap between a market cap and a, a, a cap, the cap weight indices and the equal weight indices is still wide. This is one of the trades you've been pushing, Bram. What's the state of it right now? I mean, it's an interesting trait for a lot of people, whether you're bullish or bearish, in the sense that if you're, if you're bearish, you think the, the mega caps will roll over. If you're bullish, you think the other side will join the rally. So what's the state of this trade right now? What do you, what do you recommend? Uh, sure. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. So just for background, our equity strategy team has been noting that the U.S. market leadership is the narrowest and market concentration is the highest in several decades. Uh, year to date, for example, if you look at the S&P 500, it's up a bit over 
but that performance was driven entirely by just seven mega cap tech stocks. Without this uh, so-called Magnificent Seven group, the market would actually be down on the year. And indeed, we can see that the equal weighted version of the S&P 500 index is currently down 2% year to date. Um, the recent equity market correction has done little to resolve this concentration risk, as a, the Magnificent Seven has on average outperformed the S&P 500 during that period, um, falling by around half as much as the broad market gauge. Um, the outperformance of these mega cap tech names this year appears to be driven to a large extent by optimism around the AI theme. But it appears overdone at this stage, and historically, periods of high market concentration like this always reversed. Further, uh, tech valuations were previously well correlated with bonds, but the recent tech outperformance saw this relationship break down as it coincided with an increase in yields. Um, so to hedge the recent extreme market concentration and narrow leadership, I'd look at calls on the outperformance of SPW, which is the equal weighted S&P 500 index, over the regular market cap weighted S&P 500, or the NASDAQ 100. Um, these structures can pay out regardless of the market direction, whether the largest names sell off more in a downturn or the rest of the market catches up to the upside. Um, for example, we noted in a late September's publication that a six month SPW over S&P uh, outperformance call that struck two and a half percent out of the money would have cost about one and a half percent of notional indicatively and would pay around six times the premium invested if the S&P year-to-date outperformance versus SPW were to fully reverse. So bring this back to you, Tom, uh, what does everything that we've just been talking about mean in terms of risk premia? Yeah, so, so we just put out a piece, which is a kind of broad survey of risk premia across, across all the asset classes and see, seeing what works and what doesn't work. And you know, just to draw a few parallels to other business cycles, you know, we, we do get to this point where you know, if you have a risky asset and a safe asset, do get to the point where the, the risk premium between the asset classes really narrows at the end of the business cycle. And at the same time, the thing that we wrote about when the piece came out about a week ago was the, this idea that, or, that vols are very low and vols have room to come up. So if we wanted to have a kind of a quick shortcut indicator to this thought process, you'd have the risk premium in the numerator and the risk difference in the denominator. Both of these things are poised to get worse. So you know, if the uh, earnings estimates uh, that we expect or will be challenged uh, um, by, by, by growth in the coming year, uh, that's the numerator getting challenged. And on the denominator side, if the stock uh, volatilities have, have been too low because of you know, systematic option sellers, zero data expiry, that's a good reason for the denominator to, to worsen. So basically this, this recent move towards you know, high for long has kind of confirmed our, our bearish outlook. Okay, great. Well, thank you, Bram. Thank you, Steve, for joining us. And, and thanks for tuning in to JP Morgan TV.